Welcome to What's Your Beef? What's Your Beef is proudly supported by Suncorp Bank, helping local producers through the ups and downs since 1902. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and this is What's Your Beef? Dale and Alicia Rechlag are a dynamic partnership from Goobidgeon in central Queensland, passionate about biodiversity, tasty beef and soil health. Dale has been a keen advocate for good stockmanship for over 20 years and while they've been advocating for improvements in soil health for some time, they've upped the ante in the last three years, putting their stock through a high-intensity grazing system under irrigation, which has reaped some incredible results. Thanks so much for joining us, Dale. Thanks, Jane. First of all, can you give us a snapshot of your operation? Uh, well, Jane, yeah, um, Alicia and I, we have a 1,200-acre property uh, irrigation block at Division. Uh, we... Um, over half of it's irrigated, three centre pivots, five centre pivots. And um, we do a backgrounding operation with um, Wagyu steers that are contracted to grow uh, on uh, irrigation. And um, part of what we do is just to try and uh, using those livestock to develop, um, improve soil health, I would say. And that's sort of something that we've been wanting to do for a long time and, and it's working quite well for us. Okay, when you, because I understand you haven't been there for that long, what were your goals when you bought this property and, and how long ago was that? Well, we, we've been here just on four years now, Jane, and it was something that um, we've been wanting to do. We, we originally coming from Kilcoy and uh, setting up from a dairy farm. So I've always had that dairy farming background and, and, and growing feed for livestock. And it's something I've always enjoyed doing. And when we came up here, we found this place and it was something that we could do and, and it was similar to what we were doing, but yeah, doing um, backgrounding became sort of just the way it turned out and it worked out quite well. As time went on, I, um, in later years, I sort of uh, came across uh, Neil McDonald and the Stockton chips type of thing and actually really enjoyed it. It was something I, I uh, followed ever since and years later, uh, I sort of managed to uh, meet Bud Williams in, um, from America and uh, spent time with him over there and and uh, yeah it's something I've always followed and I just now what we do now is sort of combine the whole lot together and it, yeah, it's working quite well. So when you say you had a bit of an education in stockmanship what were you looking for and what you know what did you take away from that that has stayed with you all this time? The thing we found was I, I was always fascinated with seeing people with good dogs and how they could work stock and Actually being introduced to Neil was something that I, I um, sort of ticked all the boxes for me and I, I uh, something I followed passionately after that and it was just being able to move large mobs of cattle in uh, in a very orderly manner and uh, put them wherever you want and, and the cattle responded in a positive manner to you. And that was what I found was um, the most rewarding. So it's something that I you'd never walk away from. Once you start, you will never change, go back to the old ways. So. <laughs> I have heard that. Now, you started your soil health education in the early 2000s. What inspired you to look differently at what was beneath your feet? Yeah, well, I've always been one to like, question why we do what we do. And I think it's sort of meeting different people, but I was never happy with just 
why we had to put so many inputs into to try and get the results we wanted, you know. And I guess we're always trying to find a way to reduce your costs. And and sorry, just to clarify, when you're talking about inputs, like you you said that you grew up growing feed for cattle. So what inputs specifically were you considering? Yes, Jane. Generally, just your synthetics. So yeah, your fertilizers and uh, and it sort of it had the flow on effect as you went through. We we uh, realized like you're, you're putting on more synthetics, and then we had to start putting on extra things to change because we changed the soil structure and things like gypsum had to be applied and you just thought well that's not right and it's something we've always questioned and yeah as and I just as the years went on I spent more time trying to learn about it and and it's all of a sudden it sort of started to click why we're doing what we're doing and it's not the right way so we're sort of trying to go back the other way now so (laughs) it's amazing you spend all that time building it up to turn it around but I guess Part of part of learning is knowing what you don't want as much as what you do. That's right, and we we um, just found like with the livestock in, in your system, it's sort of one of the key drivers of soil health if they're done correctly. Uh, that's where we think a lot of people fall down is not having the stock density to to d- implement like positive change in their soils. But as um, as I see it, livestock is an integral part of good soil health, and it's something that more people like we've got the tools to do it with the livestock we just need to uh, manage it better so so do you think that's part of the reason people find it difficult to really get their head around this is that you hear so much about overstocking and that intensive intensive grazing and then with regenerative soil health it really is intensity is the key yeah well there's there's a difference between sort of stocking rate and and uh and intensity or like stock density so what soil health is sort of functions around the cycle of your plants and if your plants don't get significant rest then they can't uh, regrow as they should and they can't cycle the nutrients and so what and what happens is with people they will graze in a set stocking uh, system will actually the gra- the cattle will graze sort of the better species and leave others so you get patched grazing and then overgraze becomes an issue because that ground gets hard and mm. and plants start to shut down so what you try to do is get your intensity up so that they're grazing more evenly and from that perspective then you're um you give a long rest because you're constantly moving your stock so the idea is to to try and keep the um the intensity up to have even manure distribution across the landscape but uh more importantly keeping well just as importantly as giving it a a significant rest period. Now, for the last three years, you've been high-intensity grazing under five pivots, two lacuna and three multi-species from what I understand. You can explain that. But what, <laughs> brought, on, <laughs> what brought on this decision? Because that see, this seems like next level on top of what you were just talking about. Yeah, well, see, the, the problem what we face, like uh, mankind's pretty good at just wanting to have the one species of plant and just doing one off. And, it, it, and nature doesn't work that way. We've got to have... Like you look in your landscape and there's always more than one plant and there's always more than one animal and, and uh, in nature's way and that's how it functions. And we've, so we've got to go back to that if we really want our soils to function correctly. So what we did was you go to a multi-species and all that is is just using multiple plants. And um, you've got to get over at least five species to really start making the difference. And the difference being in that your plants will actually... 
signal and swap minerals and nutrient transfer through the soil. So they don't work against each other, they work in harmony. And so that enhances your soil, plus giving a diversity of life for your microbes, which is a driver of your soil health. So having that multi-species in there drives your soil health. And then on top of the ground, it becomes a, like a smorgasbord for your livestock. They function better, well, they'll work better because it's a more a diverse diet. It's not just a one-off diet, which is not natural for livestock. You said before that, you know, you do, when you have multi-species, there is that um, risk that one will be more palatable than another. How do you ensure that everything that you have planted is going to be delicious? That's where in, um, intensity comes into your stock. If you grazed it continuously at a set stocking rate and at a low enough, of course they're going to go through and they'll just chase the clover or whatever it might be and uh, and leave one of the brassicas out. But mm. The idea is to have multiple species. So you're talking about grasses, you have legumes, forbs, uh, so to get a broad mix and then you graze at a high intensity with a frequent shift and that way they eat everything down at at the same. Like So it's sort of like <laughs> eating eating your veggies and having your steak as well, making them eat the broccoli, So as I say. <laughs> well, actually, I just went through the list of crops that you have in the ground and I'm not going to read them all out because there's a ton, but it does sound like a gourmet salad smorgasbord so how do you choose what goes in and what do they all bring to the table like what what are the benefits so yeah you've you've got to so you've got to mix it up so you of course you've got your grasses and then you've got to have legumes for your nitrogen and and then a forbs which a lot of people don't like some classed as weed but they provide a lot of nutrient density into the mix Uh, brassicas are the same so like things like radishes and turnips and uh, it's quite interesting to see the stock eat them but uh, they um, they are a part of like your soil health they'll function like in that regards in a very strong way and we've got to remember our microbes under the ground are living livestock as well so they've got to um, they need that diversity to put strength in the system. Oh, it sounds delicious um, you could just pop out there for lunch really couldn't you? <laughs> So I guess one of the benefits that I think you really enjoy too is the with the multi-species is more carbon in the soil. Yeah, that's right, Jane. With the uh, multi-species, it's it's not enough so much just for the, the animal health, like it's just part of the whole cycle. And, and one of the key drivers of it all is our soil carbon. So this place was quite low, as most places are with soil carbon. And part of putting multi-species in there is it actually accelerates the amount that you can put down with the sugars that they produce through the root system. And what we're finding with the actual um, carbon, by increasing our organic carbon in the soils, we actually, our irrigation costs have gone down significantly um, in the last sort of two years. So it's something that's really pushing the production along and actually driving efficiencies. Um, And it's something that sort of people should really look at in their systems, even though it's irrigation, but just in the dry land system as well for the extra water infiltration that you uh, gain by it. So it's something that helps as a dry land area, I suppose, would help drought-proof your properties. There's been a a lot of research and and conversations around carbon-carbon farming and and those benefits, but broadly speaking, it doesn't seem to be terribly well understood by the overall grazing industry. Do you find that? Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of things going on out there and what's right and what's wrong is sort of remains to be seen. But what we're finding is that uh, it's actually following good basic techniques to build that soil carbon. And it's something that 
not enough, enough information being done with it over the years. But yeah, cattle like livestock are a key part of driving that um, system, and I think providing that they are managed in the correct way with um, high intensity type systems, not uh, set stocking because you're just pulling way too much carbon out of your soil with a set stocking system. With that idea of more carbon, you know, graziers are quick to say that we are soil farmers first and graziers second. Do you believe that? Yes, it is because soil is like you're actually finding now that soil carbon is is directly related to profitability in businesses and farms. And like the higher organic matter or soil carbon, the the more successful or more resilient you are as a farmer. And uh, that's been proven. And even now you're starting to find, um, I think it's one of the major four banks is looking at with their interest rates, having a reduction on ones that are actually developing soil um, organic matter. So that's uh, going to be a big incentive for uh, graziers down the track to, and that's the way it's going it's going to be driven by actual soil health so it's sort of interesting you run an irrigation system though how does this translate to sort of more broad acre dry land grazing well even though we're irrigation it's still the principles are still the same jane like mm. you've got what you find is that you're um um, we're just doing it on a faster track than what you normally would. But you've got a, if you've got higher organic matter in your soils, then you get uh, air, water, all the basics for your microbes to survive in. So that increases water infiltration. Um, and like there's a saying, they've got, uh, you know, when when you get a storm or something, like how much rain did you get? And you've got to be able to tell people, well, I managed to get all of it because so many people are losing it. And, uh, you know, you get... An, engine rain 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 event and most of it sort of disappears down the in the creek systems uh which is not how our landscapes function so and that's why we having so many dry spells or dry times is because purely because our organic matters has dropped away so much and so do you think with the tree program that you have going on at you with your at your property too do you think you'll see some of these kind of results come through on that as well yeah, well, not so much on that alone, I mean, because what we actually find, like you've got several pathways of uh, developing carbon and, you know, one is through decomposition and it's a lot slower. That's why they always said that, you know, it takes 5,000 years to build an inch of topsoil, which that in that system it would, but we're sort of talking about the liquid carbon pathway, which is what Christine Jones named it. And it's it's just definitely a faster way of putting carbon in the, in the form of humus into the soil. And uh, trees are only just a part of it. Like that's just an overall um, health benefit for the landscape. It's just about like the actual grass, high quality grass in in a uh, grazing system can put down a lot more carbon than what trees will. So it's but it's about keeping a good balance in the system, and that's that's where we're sort of trying to aim. So to, to reduce your costs overall by having high carbon in your soils. And, you know, you're doing this right now. You've seen results over the last three years. Do you imagine that you're going to have to change this system much in the next 10 to 20? I can't see it changing, Jane, because we had such good results now. It's We know it's working. The system works. Uh, we can see it going places. Where we get to, I don't know. No one knows because the 
no one knows where our organic matter was before white man came. Like, mm. it's, no one really knows where we were at. There's no and, control. There's no control era. No, exactly. Not at all. Most of it's been touched in some way. So every time it was cleared or fires put through it or ploughed, you're taking carbon out of the system. So there's no really, it's not many records of it, uh, of where, where the levels were. So by actually putting it back in, you're actually starting to see your soils function so much better. So there's less inputs and it gets to the point, like once you get over that uh, 3% carbon, you, you, your soil start to be self-generating and that's when it really starts to drive um, the system and you don't need the inputs and there's the resilience built into this that way. So you're seeing the results in your business and it's obviously paying off. How would you be able to integrate like a carbon farming or um, or further benefits from what you're storing in the soil? Okay, yeah, we it's something we are looking at, the carbon farming. I mean, the government's thrown it out there. Uh, anything with the government you should be cautious with, I guess, but it's I'm not doing it for that as such. Like What we're trying to do here is purely just for our own benefit on the property to build the resilience, to build the strength in it. Um, if you can get a carbon credit out at the end of it, that's I'd just class that as a bonus, but it's not what drives us. It's about, and there's not a lot, lot done on actual soil carbon. It's most people talking carbon in the landscape are talking about trees. So uh, it's a little bit different um, and still early days. We've talked about how important soil health is to you, but I understand it, it it's even go, runs deeper than that. It, it comes down to your own health too. Yes, Jane, like the thing with soil health, it's sort of where everything starts. And if you can eliminate a lot of your chemical usage and or eliminate them completely, because that has a flow-on effect down the food chain. And if you can get that, people are starting to find out why they've got health issues. And and if you can produce a healthier, cleaner product, then it, is, it sort of enables that just to flow on down the chain. And, and it just takes that the issues that we have in our food system now that has become more noticeable in the last few years. So we by eliminating your insecticides, pesticides, and, and uh, synthetic fertilisers, you can actually... Um, produce just as good uh, quality meat and uh, and it sort of has a definitely has a, a health benefit down the line. What made you really first start thinking about your like that down the line end of the food chain you know what comes out the other end was there something in your own life that happened or is it just you know you you were aware of what your consumers were, were really getting? Yeah Jane I didn't really think of it as the end consumer initially it was more so that um I just don't agree with what we're doing. It's just, and not trying to be um, anything different or way out. It was just like, I know probably one of the first incidences I had was just getting unwell, being around chemicals. And and I, I don't know why, but I just became unwell. And, and so then I just tried to find ways of not using them. And and then that just started me down the path of trying to research more um, in my own time, just trying to find out alternative ways that, and try to maintain production, and that's the key. You don't want it to interfere with your production, but and if you can find a way to do it, it's a win-win. So that's how we went. Do you think in some parts of the beef industry are a little bit flippant about the end consumer and what they're getting? Like, you know, for certainly for a lot of um, broadacre operations, you know, you say that your cattle go to the meatworks and end up as hamburgers and McDonald's in America, but then do you reckon enough people really do think about exactly what? Is in it and what that means? 
Well, I think in the past people didn't really worry, but it's because of social media and and just be, and people are becoming educated quite well now about how and what goes on in the industry. So it's starting to become very transparent what we do, and 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 that's why a lot of what we do is starting to be called into question. And I think it's a big wake up call for the industry that we really need to get on the front foot and be proactive with it. Um, it's it's sort of a lot of people say we are doing things well, but is it is it enough? And that's that's the question. I, I think we need to really push this. And uh, if we've got to to keep flying the flag for the beef industry as being healthy, clean, and green, we just need need to do more. Now, you contract feed wagyus. Is this what you've always done with with your cattle operation? No, Jane. We changed when we came here, and we went over to um, just feeder steers, and and it was going quite well for us. But um, we had an opportunity, probably eighteen months ago now, to try wagyus as a to grow for feedlot weights, and yeah, we gave it a go, and it's it's working quite well for us now. So it's uh, they come in here at the 200, 220 kilo weight, and we've just got to get them up to that 400 and or plus, and uh, away they go to the feed feedlot. But um, it's yeah, they've they've responded well to it. The, the waggies, they get the, their weight gains definitely up there with the what you would expect from a wagyu. So uh, I think um, the feedlots were definitely happy with it, and the owners definitely happy with it. So uh, yeah, it's working quite well. Oh, good. And so, did you see those results with the the feeder steers before the wagyus too? Yes, oh, definitely. Um, yeah, it was. You can get some really strong weight gains because what we're trying to do, Jane, and part of this whole multi-species uh, thing is by building your soil microbes, you're actually in generating uh, higher BRICS readings in your plants. So BRICS is just a measure of sugars, and so it's just pulling that from the atmosphere as uh, the photosynthesis and creating the sugars to feed the microbes in the soil and you can get those levels up you'll actually create a more nutrient dense plant and not only doing it for your soil health but your animals will respond in a better way so if you can get those bricks levels up you can actually gain more weight without them actually eating any more so you'll actually find that they'll eat less Um, and that's something we look at pretty closely if you can get that bricks level up over 10 or 12 um, they can actually gain sort of up to you know 0.3 of a kilo a day weight gain in conventional cattle, not so much the wagyus, but um, uh, and yeah, actually eat less. It's like they could probably eat five percent less total intake. How much monitoring? Like you just rattled off, you know, the sugar levels and that sort of thing. How much testing do you and monitoring do you have to do? Very little, Jane. Very little. So okay. we just use just a little refractor meter. That's it's just a simple tool that they you can buy cheap online, and it's just not something you go and do every day, but. One thing I would say we do watch very carefully is how much you graze. Like overgrazing is very detrimental to the system. So it can only graze down no more than 50%. Um, If you go more than that, you're going to damage your roots so they don't respond as well. And so we look at that and you look at what the cattle are eating. Their dung, of course, it's very important to see that they're not, you know, overdoing it on the um, protein side or energy side of it so that they get enough fibre in it and how full they are. I'm just looking at their general condition. And then, of course, we just use a refractor meter now and then to check where we're going and that we're still getting or addressing any problems before they become a real issue. You mentioned the importance of stockmanship before, and that's one of your interests and passions, I guess. When you're dealing with other people's cattle all the time and backgrounding, how does all of that marry together? 
Yeah, well, it's an issue that we, it's been, I suppose, it's been around for a long time, whereas, you know, you're trying to handle other cattle or they're not yours. And it's an issue that we've always faced. And that's one thing I enjoyed when I first sort of went with Neil McDonald. He sort of showed us that these other ways of doing things, and it's not the only one that's doing it, but we pay, play a big emphasis on stockmanship. And, and basically, you can know, you're able to do what you want with your cattle where you want it. And uh, you find, like the cattle that come here, that straight away you've got to get the like the stress sorted in them. Like the cattle will always be stressed, no matter what we do. You can talk about low stress, but when they're on a truck and they're out of their environment, their natural environment, they will become stressed. So our, our idea is to create stress tolerant stock, mm. um, and and not so much because what happens is while you're there working in your control, they'll always be in, in uh, be fine. But once they leave your system, so whether they're going on a truck in yards or an agent shows up or whatever it might be that doesn't work the way you do, then it, it applies uh, stress. So, so we we work on just taking that tolerance to another level for their stress um, and that uh, enables them to handle any system that they're placed in and that's what we do. We just concentrate on getting their tolerance up and and working in a large larger mobs like you find that we don't have to change any infrastructure, Jane, so that they actually... Uh, function a lot better through the system. So it's like going away to boarding school at your place then. It's a full education as well as a... (laughs) (laughs) Education's very... um, It's a key. Like, Jane, we could not do what we did without good stockmanship. It's that simple. Like, you know, when you start work, like, you don't have to change... If you've got good stockmanship, you don't have to change infrastructure. That's the key. You don't have to build laneways. You don't have to build bigger yards. And our watering system's only small, like... You know, you, you could have 800 head drinking out of a 500-litre trough and it's not an issue because they're educated correctly and they, and they can handle that pressure. It's not an issue for them, whereas you brought in a mob that's never been handled correctly and you, that's, they'd destroy the trough and the fences and everything to go with it straight up because they were stressed. Well, no, it sounds like it's a, a full operation of, of many different benefits. Now, I understand you're involved in a tree performance project as well, which sounds mightily intriguing. Yeah, I know it's something. I when we came here, the, the place I just one of the first issues I sort of noticed was because a lot most of the place was cultivated at some time. There's very little tree trees growing on it, and trees are like an incredible part of our landscape. As much as um, people might disagree with it, but they need it, and and that's where we found with the cattle. They were always struggling for shade, and and so I actually had to approach a group to find out how to. Um, plant a tree I sort of never never knew how to do it really or what's the correct way of doing it so they actually got me to talk to the University of Central Queensland about um, doing shaded grazing so it's just it's a unique thing that they've tried and they've had success with it in a trial plot and um, yeah so we tried it here which it's basically um, setting up a grazing area that's only has 20% canopy cover yep. so that's that's what we're trying to do so it's it'll be interesting to see how, well, it goes. how does that though if you've got five center pivots which doesn't say shade to me so that's two no. kind of con- have contradicting trains of yeah, thought no, there. sorry I'll clarify that Jane yeah so that it's on because the place like you we did the trial on, on a corner of one of the pivots um so it's a little triangle yep. and it it's what we found, it was an issue I thought I was really concerned when cattle, we had them here, like in the heat, but, um, and I was thinking, like trying to make shade lines for them. But one thing we did notice, and it was a benefit I didn't realize at the time, but since we really got 
the high intensity going with the grazing, because you've got such green cover on your ground all the time, your temperature is a lot cooler. So I thought the Wagyus may have struggled with it, but they adapted quite well to it. You could see the ground is so much cooler in like the middle of summer and they're not, there's no panting or anything. Like they're in green feet and and it's so reflective of the sun, the heat, so or absorbent of the heat, I should say. So uh, that's one benefit we did find. Well, interesting. Now I, re- I realise that very early days and you haven't really had a chance to um, get too far into the study, but what, what are you hoping to, I guess, you know, what's your hypothesis? What are you hoping to see come out of it? What we're finding, like the landscape, like the trees are a part of the landscape and they've always have been um, and sort of too many have been taken out of the system. So it's something that we sort of like to think that that'll be the way it should be in the future. Um, so you can still keep your production up at high levels, but also maintain that diversity in the system and your wildlife and that comes back your birds and everything else. So. Uh, it's definitely something that's I, I think that's probably needed or needs to be looked at more closely. Now you are involved. We're here because of beef, uh, the Beef Expo, Beef Twenty One. You are part of the um, farm tour, I understand. So what are you hoping people will be able to come out and see when they sign up for a tour to your place? Well, they said that um, most people had trouble filling in the days, and they said you're not going to have that problem. So, <laughs> so but I, I, it's. I, yeah, I wasn't too keen to do it at first, but a few people told me that it's something that needs to be shared because there's so much people could learn. And, and I, I often think we, I see it every day, I guess. It doesn't seem like we're doing anything that different or wonderful, but it is, I guess, a little bit unique, uh, what we're actually trying to achieve here. And, yeah, if we can share that with people and, and it may help others get stuck into multi-species and and uh, and good stockmanship skills. Well, that's that's a win. But what about your neighbours? You've been there four years now, and you've you've got all of this stuff off up of the ground, and and it's working. What do your neighbours think? Are people oh, signing yeah. up for multi species? Or well, I kept tried. I had my head down for a long time, hoping nobody had noticed. But when the sunflowers <laughs> came out, <laughs> and the I said, oh, the "Yeah, the the cat was out the bag when they saw the sunflowers." But I just tell them I was a I was a dairy farmer for years, and they all forgive me. So. <laughs> That's your excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no, neighbours are good. Like they, they, they accept that I do. I've got my way of doing things, and it's interesting. They, it's yeah, it's a lot. But are of they things. interested? I guess that was my question. Are people, you know, people are coming out to have a look at what you're doing um, in your local area? Are people taking it on yeah, board no, too? There's a few people asking questions about what I'm doing, and and sort of it's interesting where this regenerative stuff is going. Like it's become a bit of a fad at the moment, but I mean it's a great thing. It's but people wanting to know more it's actually like 12 months ago you wouldn't even talk about it too much but now it's just like when you mention it people will jump on you and say well that's a great idea I want to know more so um, I, I think it's it's got a lot of potential for you know to go play it is the way of the future I believe if it's done correct in all landscapes do you think you know you've, you've got a bit more of a rainfall down there than some other areas of oh yeah well the way i look at it with the irrigation jane yeah like and i you know we're grow, growing a fair bit of carbon here in the last year we'll develop a fair bit of carbon in the soil and it's had incredible results but i say to people i'm having a good season every year with the pivot mm. um, and i've got no excuses mm. so i can't blame the weather for oh we didn't do so well this year like that's that's one of the things that when you haven't got excuses, it sort of definitely puts you on a straight and narrow. So um, you've got to, yeah, if you want to achieve results, there you've got to get a run with it. Exactly. Now, are you? You'd be heading to beef uh, as well, I guess. It's not all um, all tours for you. What are you looking forward to out of the the twenty one expo? Um, 
just uh, interested in the latest technologies a little bit, things that could streamline the systems a lot better. I mean, we've got an incredible amount of technology out there that we just need to be able to apply in a practical sense, I guess, would be the... What, what are I'd you interested sort of, in? What would what would make a difference to you? Right now, we're actually sort of looking at a walkover way system, so for the whole... to, to actually streamline the system a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because the biggest issue, talking to a few different people about it, and the biggest issue they all face is, um, like, they've got technology and it all works well, but they can't get the uh, livestock to cooperate. And I think, well, that's not really going to be my problem. Mm. Um I don't like. I shouldn't say that out loud, but it's not. It's, <laughs> too it's late okay. I won't now. tell anyone. You'll be fine. <laughs> too late now. But um, it's yeah. If you've got, as I went back to before, stress tolerant stock that can handle those situations, it's not. It's not an imposition to the stock. It's yeah. So, um, but that that has a, like I think that has um, huge potential for the industry. Like you can just reduce your labour on the stock so much, um, and and get up to date, you know, by the, by the day, really, uh, recordings of where you're going with your stock. Yep, exactly. Okay, well, look, everyone on this podcast has been asked the same question and you will be, you will not be let off the hook. But are you a bit of, are you a bit of a cook? Do you like getting in the kitchen no, now? I won't starve, Jane. But <laughs> <laughs> well, so Alicia must be pretty good. Well, what, yeah. um, what is your favourite cut of beef? If you're not show off fancy mm. dinner, you know, I realise that you've got Wagyu's at at home at the moment, but what is your go-to Tuesday, Wednesday night cut of beef? Okay, right. Um, oh, you can't beat the you know, rib fillet on the barbie, honestly. <laughs> Just keep it simple. But uh, I always, my family were always butchers. Um, they, they came from family butchers from since they came from Germany and, my grandfather always did a pretty, pretty good corn meat. I reckon I love my um, you know, corn silver side the way he did. Not the stuff you buy in the shops now, but the way he did it with all the quick cure and heap of salt. So I don't know. Oh wow! You're the first person who said corned beef. This is amazing. So when you yeah. say that, not the way that it's done now. So how do? What's it? What does it look like? Well, oh, just there the, the, was a lot of salt, like, <laughs> like a good dose, of quick cure. It's sort of. I know the health practitioners are probably having a fit here and that, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I always thought it was pretty good. Do you have white sauce? No, no, oh, yeah, occasionally, but tomato sauce, anything I'll do. Still, I'm pretty basic. <laughs> okay. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us today, Dale. It's been an absolute pleasure to um, see what you're doing. Yep. Thank you very much, Jane. That was good. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.